Hello, welcome to the Open Door Podcast. My name is John. I am the pastor of the Open Door Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you for checking in with us today. This is our sermon for this week um, from our worship gathering, which happens on Zoom each week. You're welcome to join us. You can find info on that at our website, pghopendoor.net. Our message today is from the lectionary passage, Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Hope you enjoy and check out our website. Our lectionary reading for today is Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The beauty of the Christian faith is that it exists within nearly every culture around the world, and people don't lose their cultural identity by being a follower of Jesus. People don't lose their identity when they become followers of Jesus. Well, I think our scripture today teaches us that we are to live in a culture or a political situation and participate in that culture with its politics, but we're not to be defined by those things. We're not to allow a political situation to define our Christian faith. Our culture or politics don't define the gospel, but we participate in living out the Christian faith within cultural and political situations, hopefully transforming those cultural and political situations for the sake of Christ. The Jewish leaders in first century Palestine had a very difficult dilemma. They were struggling to understand their cultural situation of being a distinct people group with a distinct calling from God while being under the rule of the Roman Empire. The first thing to recognize when we're interpreting scripture is that our context is very, very different from the context of first century Palestine. What we live in today in the United States, I assume for most listening, is completely, utterly, profoundly different from the cultural and political situation in first century Palestine. 
In Jesus' day, politics and religion were bound together. They were one in the same for Jewish people. The question that the Pharisees asked was really a, a legit question being asked of their time. Some people in Palestine and Jerusalem were in political alignment with the Romans. They were powerful leaders because the Romans told them they were to be powerful leaders so that Rome could have Pax Romana, peace in Rome, but rule over all of the nations. Others were calling for all-out rebellion against Rome. These people were called zealots. One of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. Simon is called in the Gospels, Simon the Zealot. And we can assume that some of the other disciples and many of Jesus' followers would be in this category. Some of his closest friends were anti-empire and uh, pro-rebellion. And about 30 years after Jesus' death, three rebellions did happen in first century Palestine. Sadly, the Jewish people in those rebellions were not successful in expelling the Roman Empire. It only served to disintegrate their, their own political systems and disintegrate their religious unity. There was a unity of politics and the Jewish faith that was in the process of coming to an end during first century, uh, the first century life of Jesus. That's why Jesus' command to give to Caesar what was Caesar's and give to God what was God's was so revolutionary. Because before this, they were the same thing. There wasn't a separation uh, at all between um, our ability to, to be a part of a political system that was not a religious system. The idea was not common, not well understood that faith in God could be fully lived out outside the realms of a Jewish political state. So that's where we find ourselves in this passage. The idea, the question, can we live out our faith? Could the Jewish people of first century Palestine be good followers of God, um, live out the Torah if the Jewish state uh, were less powerful or, or not even in existence? Could that, is that a possibility? Faith and politics at the time were basically one thing. The two groups asking Jesus about allegiance to the empire in our passage today are the Pharisees and the Herodians. I like this history. Love uh, getting into this, so bear with me if that's not your thing. But the Pharisees, who were they? Well, we hear about them all the time in the Gospels. The Pharisees would have wanted to restore the ancient Davidic monarchy to a Jewish throne. Christians would eventually align themselves more with the Pharisees, actually, uh, and claim that Jesus was, in fact, on, the, on David's throne. Um, of course, that throne now a heavenly throne, a heavenly perspective. But Christians aligned Jesus' reign with the Davidic, the Davidic monarchy. 
Interesting, huh? But the Herodians, who were they? The Herodians are only mentioned twice in the Bible. Little is known really about them, but it can be pretty easily inferred that they liked Herod, right? Herod the Great and Herod's dynasty. They were a little bit, a little bit more practical, maybe less uh, spiritual about their desire for a monarchy, but both groups believed religion and politics were inseparable and the Jewish people needed to rule over themselves. And to be Jewish religiously, uh, they needed that political power. There needed to be a strong Jewish state. So they were hoping and planning for an end to the Roman Empire. Both of these groups were suspicious of Jesus and left threatened that he might overturn their quest for power in Palestine. I think that's what Jesus realized about and recognized about these two groups. They questioned him in a way that they thought would get him into trouble, either trouble with the law for saying, don't pay taxes because we are the Jewish people, or trouble with his followers because many of them were zealots, right? Many of them wanted freedom from the empire. But the Herodians and the Pharisees were wrong about being able to uh, trick Jesus. They should have learned uh, quicker than they did. See, Jesus had a new idea about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God a kingdom that would transform the world, but would not be transformed by the world, a kingdom that would turn everything upside down, a kingdom that would exist within every culture, every political system of the world, or at least it could. Jesus was asked if good Jewish people should pay taxes to the empire ruling over them or rebel and refuse to pay, what should they do? Either way, he answered, it would seem Jesus would get in deep trouble. But of course, Jesus has this brilliant way of turning the conversation upside down. He calls his followers to give to God the things that are God's. This, for us today, is the good news of Jesus' gospel. We're called by God to give our whole selves to God and the purposes of God in the world, but to never confuse our work for the gospel with the politics of empire. This passage really needs to be interpreted differently for different cultures as different at different times in history. For us today, we can proclaim with clarity that the gospel of Jesus is not ever in conjunction with some political movement. It's never uh, co-opted. It should never be co-opted by politics. Today, we see some Christians claiming a white American nationalist Jesus. I mean, I think we can agree that this is not the gospel but some abhorrent grab for power by certain politicians who see the Christian church as a a tool in their game to gain power. 
For some, American Christianity has been warped by its relationship to politics. But we need to check our own motives, too. The gospel of Jesus always speaks truth to politics. The gospel of Jesus always engages politically, but it never infuses itself into politics. The politics of Jesus are just too simple for any worldly political movement to truly engage it. Love God, care for those in need, love your enemy. With these kinds of ethics as our guide, we can make political choices. We can give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We can even be involved in politics, but we can never allow politics to claim our gospel. Following in the way of Jesus is a political act. There's nuance here, but not as a Democrat, not as a Republican, not as any political party. Following Jesus's Jesus affects our politics, how we vote, how we are involved in the ongoing revealing that all people are created equal. But our politics do not define our Christian faith. It's the other way around. Our Christian faith defines how we live into our political situation, how we vote, why we vote what we give unto Caesar, and what is not given unto Caesar. When we live in the way of Jesus, the world, and therefore politics are are affected, are transformed. As followers of Jesus, we believe in the transformation of the world through the revelation of Jesus in the world. And it's the job of the church to begin the work of that revelation. But what does it mean in our day? that we are to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. As we work for peace and justice in the world, how do we parse out what is God's and what is Caesar's? I think it means we're to participate in the politics of this world and not separate ourselves from it. Jesus created a community of believers that we read about, thriving in the book of Acts right? It comes after the Gospels. Those first Christians did not separate themselves from the Jewish culture. They, commu- they, they created a, a community within that culture. They didn't separate themselves from the politics of their day. They didn't get an army to fight the Roman Empire, but they began to transform culture from the inside out. And that's how the church was started. Likewise, as the church spread around the world, it was not a religion calling for people to separate themselves from their cultures. Rather, every culture around the world should be lifted up and honored for its God-given unique identity through the church. The church transforms culture from the inside out. We're called to live within the world and participate in the cultures and politics of our day. Sometimes that can be a joyous lifting up of the goodness of our cultural setting. And sometimes that's a prophetic voicing for change in our cultural setting. Of course, that's really hard in our day today. I think we're all very clear that 
there are no simple answers as to how a follower of Jesus should participate politically in America. We're in a difficult spot right now. But not every Christian would agree with me and how I choose to live out my faith. How is it that some Christians can disagree so vastly on issues of politics and faith? Followers of Jesus must not get wrapped up in politics in ways that cause our political affiliations to define our faith. It's through the simplicity of the gospel that we live as followers of Jesus and define how we live in the world. True followers of Jesus can let their lifestyles speak the gospel and show up at the polls on voting day, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but allow the simple message of the kingdom of heaven, the upside down kingdom, to speak through our lives. In giving unto Caesar, we never shy away from our voice in politics or in culture. But at our best, we transform it. We can't do that without voting. So get out in the next week or this week and vote early. Make your vote count because it does matter. And Christians are to engage in their cultures and even in their politics. The good news of Jesus today is that God cares so much for who we are, for who you are, that God desires we devote our entire lives to the mission of God in the world. We're to give to God what is God's. That includes our whole selves. Romans 12, 1 through 2, 1 and 2 says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Give it all, everything, to God. And whatever is Caesar's, give to Caesar. But God desires your whole self, your whole being, because God loves you so much. When we give these things and all things to God, the world will be transformed. That's an inherently political idea. But our work in the world is not for the sake of Caesar. It is for the sake of the least, the lost, the hurting, the poor, the orphaned refugee, the man in our neighborhood who's lonely, the woman who lost her husband. It's for the betterment of planet Earth for generations to come. Our work in this world will have political consequences when we give to God what is God's. And we can give to the emperor what is the emperor's and not lose credibility with our faithfulness to God. We can participate even in a broken world, broken systems, and we can do it without losing the gospel message of the kingdom of heaven, because that comes first. Amen.